Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Thank you so much. It is a wonderful to be with you, uh, Christchurch Manchester fellow field site, um, which is amazing. It's just so good to be with you. Um, it's strange not seeing you guys. Uh, I'm not yet used to preaching without really getting feedback from people, but I'll do my best. Um, like I said, my name is Maggie. I'm from Milton Keynes. Uh, we're part of a Catalyst New Frontiers Church here. So that's also where the connection is coming from with Tim um, and Vicky. We've done projects together before. Love these guys. And just so privileged to be here and support you and um, in what you're doing. So, um, yeah, Tim mentioned my garden. That's a great segue into what I'm going to talk about today, which is gardening. Um, I will expand it will have a spiritual edge to it don't worry um but when it when lockdown was coming upon us when it wasn't quite yet there but it was becoming very apparent that it was going to be here soon i i remember saying to my colleagues i said i i predict two things one is i bet the word social distancing is going to be the word of the year uh i'm, I'm still hedging my bets on that i think that's still true and the, and the second thing i said i I think people's gardens are going to never look better once we're out of lockdown uh, than they will this year. Um, and I certainly have done my part to make the second prediction come true. As you can see on my Instagram, you can find it. It's full of gardening pictures at the moment. Um, I did think of pulling some up here, but then I realized I only have 20 minutes, so don't want to waste that on pictures. Go to my Instagram, find them. Um, and we moved into a new build about two years ago, didn't touch the garden at all, and then decided in lockdown, let's test it. And now it's a green oasis. Well, quite well together. Um, but one thing that fascinates me about gardening is this principle that when you're when you're putting in new plants, the things that you put in to help the plants are essentially rotten, dead, decomposed uh, soil, compost. Compost is nothing, nothing else. Fertilizer, decomposed, rotten, old stuff that you put on your plants. Um, in other words, you, you fertilize your plants. And I, um, so I'm German, something you, you need to know about me throughout the next uh, 15 minutes. Um, I grew up in Germany, my family is in Germany. I moved over to the UK when I was 18, uh, following the call of God on my life uh, to be here. Um, and now married a, a great Englishman uh, here in Middleton. And um, uh, so I grew up in North Germany, which is a farming community. So I was surrounded by farming. So the, the concept of fertilizing and manures really is not new to me. I understand that, but it fascinates me just how that works, how you do something that is old and dead and rotten and you put it on plants and something beautiful comes from it something nourishing comes from it when you put it on things that uh, are food uh, that are to growing and um we we tried to revive our lawn as well and um, it was looking pretty gruesome uh, in april and we bought all sorts of stuff to put on the lawn 
from seeds to uh, all sorts of feeds, to all sorts of other things. And uh, in the end, we bought a fertilizer and we, we put it on and it stank. It stank literally like we just had a herd of cows on our lawn doing their business. Um, but it was the only thing that really worked. Afterwards, we had a lush, deep green, very thick, nice, good-looking lawn. In fact, um, my husband's just put more on today because it started looking slightly light green again and some of the patches weren't working so well. He was like, right, we need to put more on. And lo and behold, it, it stank again for, for a while. And um, I wonder... You know, I don't know if you have these thought processes, but sometimes I think, you know, who came, who first came up with the thought of going, I know what I'm going to do in order to grow my plants better. I'm going to take someone's waste and smear it all over it. That's going to help. How, how, who came up with that? I don't know. Maybe you can tell me. Maybe you can do some research and, and find out what the history of manure is. But um, one of the things also that, um, brought that really home to me was an interaction I had once with my youth leader back, back home in Germany and um, we were hanging out. I, I think all I remember from the situation was that we were hanging out in the kitchen and it was, you know, one of those conversations that just happened over ordinary normal things. I think I was complaining about something probably to do with a boy um, or something else and um, we were cooking pizza, that's what I remember. And I don't remember much about the conversation, but I remember that um, at one point, she said this. Now, before I go into it, I have to give you a little cultural context, cultural um, lesson here. Um, every culture and also every sub-Christian culture has its own taboos. So in Germany or here, um, for example, one of the taboos is swearing. In the Christian English culture, you don't swear. But a little bit of alcohol in measures in the right settings, that's okay. In Germany, that's the other way around. Um, German Christians generally are, are teetotal, um, barring very few exceptions. And um, but swearing is kind of like it's okay in, in the right measure every now and then. So she she swore on this. And um, I have a sanitized version that I'm gonna give you, and you can insert the swear word yourself. Um, but basically, she, she said this, God is very, very good at growing strawberries from manure. Insert that word here. Uh, God is very, very good at growing strawberries from manure. And I just remember the instant she said that to me, I, I just felt like a lot of the gospel suddenly unlocked itself for me and um, it was a really pivotal moment I, I remember it as clear as day and um, what I heard is meaning God is really good at growing something that gives you nutrients that gives you delight sweetness joy life out of what is waste uh, dead bad in many different ways stinky hard to stand want to run away from uh, usually something you wouldn't even go near that you wouldn't wish on, you know, your greatest enemy. But God is really good at taking that and growing something beautiful, something nutritious, something um, life-giving out of that. And in many, many ways, that is just such a fundamental and simple gospel truth, isn't it? We, we, 
I don't know about you, but at the moment I, I hear that phrase, I also hear a lot of very often quoted and very common uh, Bible scriptures um, and that, that support this. And there's, there's a long list, I've just pulled out three that um, I just thought would be great to turn to. So Romans 8, 28, um, and we know all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Isaiah 61, love this one, um, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I, have, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So we know the promises of God in our life, and we know the gospel truth that Jesus has accomplished righteousness and victory for us on the cross. God is very, very good at making strawberries out of manure. Manure. Um, you know, for me, these are words of hope, um, words of promise. And we have this promise from our Heavenly Father. And um, I don't know about you, but I have learned in my life so far that actually the Christian life is not a promise of an easy or plain sailing life. In fact, if you really honestly read your Bible, then um, this is a whole other sermon, but you see that the Christian life potentially is full of persecution and sacrifice and, um, and hardships, potentially. But God's promise is that ultimately he as a good father takes that and in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of things that we're going through, he is working it for our good. Now, one other thing that I have learned over the years and that God has brought to the fore again for me in this season is, um, is this. The kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of this world. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of this world. In many ways, the kingdom of God almost feels like an upside down kingdom to those who judge it by measuring it against what the world measures with. And uh, one, of the, one of the ways to describing it, for example, is, um, I don't know if you know about the story of the Old Testament, there's actually a gap um, between the Old Testament, the last book, and then the, uh, the beginning of the New Testament. And that's roughly about 400 years um, of waiting. And in that time, Israel um, kind of filled the void with a lot of um, interpretations of what the Old Testament might mean. And the Old Testament is full of promises of a Messiah coming. And there was this prevailing thought in, in Israel and amongst the people of God that um, the Messiah coming will very much look like a military uh, leader who will come and through military force will bring freedom from oppression um, and victory over their enemies. Um, and they were waiting for that. They were actively waiting and looking for a Messiah that looked like that. So I wonder what it must have looked like to the Israelites when Jesus came along and he was uh, hailed uh, as the Messiah, as the one who's coming. But then we read stories like in Luke 19, for example, where Jesus goes and eats with uh, Zacharias, the tax collector, who um, in them, in the minds of the Israelites, of, um, of the people of God, was part of those who are oppressing the people of God. He was part of the problem, part of the enemy. And um, 
instead of going in and saying, Zechariah, you are wrong. I'm going to slay you down. I'm going to free my people from your oppression. Jesus goes in and eats with him. He eats at the table of the sinner, of the oppressor. Uh, of, of the oppressor. And he says this, today salvation has come to this house. This is in Luke 19.9. Today salvation has come to his house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. I wonder how that must have sounded to to those who were saying, but the Messiah is a military leader. He will free us from oppression. I, I probably would have sat there going, wait, you're not meant to be saving him. You're meant to be feeding him. Come on, what's going on? What are you doing? We don't want to be oppressed anymore. Come on. But the kingdom of God is often an upside down kingdom. It's like, how can you take something that is dead and that is stinking and that is rotten and that is horrible and turn it into something life-giving and nurturing? How can you make strawberries from manure? How does that work? And there are so many, so many verses, too many that I, I haven't got time to go through them now, but where the kingdom of God is described in a way where Jesus says, turn the other cheek. We know that. Such a common expression now. Humble ourselves. Pray for our enemies. Give our last shirt to the one in need. The kingdom of our God is not the kingdom of this world. If you look at the kingdom of our God with worldly wisdom, you will think it's foolishness. And again, there is so many verses in the Old Testament that describe that. And there is another parallel story to all of this in the Bible, which I love. And that is this, that um, eventually the God of restoration restores all lost and broken things, not to its former glory, but to a greater glory. That is his way. That is his method. We don't often understand what it looks like, and we may be looking for something different. But his promise is true and the hope that we can be anchored in is true that he will come and restore and that he is restoring in the middle of everything right now, that he is restoring uh, that which is lost and broken from not just to its old glory, but it's to its new glory, to its greater glory, to uh, a, a far superior uh, glory. And and I love that. I just I love that he is so in the midst of that. Um, I just uh, wanted to share one last gardening story with you. Um, part of our gardening project also was to do our fence. And um, we uh, just wanted to create a little bit more privacy and all our neighbours were on board with that, or so we thought. Um, on the day that we started the work, um, sadly one of our neighbours messaged us and said that she really wasn't happy with what it looked like from her side. And um, just in the moment, it got heated and, uh, and escalated pretty quickly. Still don't quite know why or how, but it did. And um, things were said and uh, accusations were, were made. Um, and it, it felt like one of those situations where, honestly, it probably was a, a massive overreaction to what the, the issue actually was. But nonetheless, tensions were high. And and she she said some things to me, that was there were pretty um, hard accusations, hard things to swallow. And I, to be honest, I was annoyed. I was angry. Um, I was tired and worn out from a lot of other things. And I was ready to defend ourselves, to debunk any accusations, to 
you know, tell her what, what is right and what is wrong and um, where maybe she was hypocritical and all of those kind of things. I was, I was like ready to blow. Uh, until my amazing, wise, intelligent and very godly husband um, said this, he said, she has a different value system to us. This is a great opportunity for us to be Jesus to her. <sighs> Deflate. Um, and in that instance, I also um, really felt the Holy Spirit started talking to me and pointing out that I was partnering with the spirit of accusation. And there's only one place where the spirit of accusation comes from, and that is the accuser. Uh, and he immediately reminded me of the many, many times where um, Jesus went low, he went humble, he went uh, defenseless before his enemy, and uh, he went after restoration of brokenness and saving rather than the military charge of defense um, and of destruction. And um, in the end, uh, we you know, even though my, my anger was still there, I knew I had to, to take that position with her. And um, we just kept reassuring her that we wanted to find a solution and that really our, our relationship with her was more valuable to us than our preference over offense and that we were quite happy to do things differently. Um, and in the end, we, uh, we actually had a really, really helpful and really good conversation um, and, it, and it all de-escalated. I wonder how many are waiting for us to, for God to come in and slay our oppressors when really what he's doing is saving them. And how many of us are wrestling with the wisdom of this world, which to be honest, coming back to my fence story, the wisdom of this world would have been, don't be a doormat. She's walking all over you. Don't be a doormat. That's what was running through my head. I don't want to be a doormat. This isn't right. This isn't fair. She's running all over us. The wisdom of this world isn't the wisdom of our God. He's not coming to slay and destroy. He's coming to save the lost, to heal the brokenness. I just want to finish by reading Philippians 2, uh, which is my, one of my absolute favorite places in scripture. Uh, Philippians 2 from verse 2, it says this, Therefore, uh, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit, of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Do not uh, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the nature, the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is our Lord to the glory of God.
I just love that scripture. It's, it's, it's one of my life scriptures. And I feel like God is bringing me and, and us in the church back to that, that almost simplicity, but upside downness of the gospel. It's, it's so simple in a way if you think about it, but it's so upside down. I just want to leave you with this before I, before I uh, hand back over to Tim. Some of the most deep healing experiences that I've had in my life was when um, I asked God to open my eyes to where he was and what he produced out of a situation of pain and brokenness in my life. And how he used me in the midst of imperfect reactions to heal and save others. And this, these were questions that I had to deal with with the Holy Spirit. It's just asking really simply, Father Jesus, where were you when this happened in my life? Where were you? Because sometimes it gets so confusing life, doesn't it? When we go through stuff and we don't understand, we don't see what's going on. But God is there. He's in the midst of it. He's not protecting you from that. He's not causing the pain in your life. But he is there and he is working it and he will be working it. Um, you know, we are made for eternity. The things that the kingdom produces don't look like the things that we may want them to be produced. And they may take many, many years to come to fruition, but he is in the midst of it and he is using it to produce something beautiful and glorious in your life. And right now, hey, we need that, right? We need to stand on that truth and that faith and that hope. So let me pray for you guys and then I'll hand over to Tim. But I just thank you for this fellowship. I thank you for this church. And I, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you come and do deep healing ministry in us that we may be and become a people of deep faith, deep hope that stand on that very foundation of the gospel and uh, that have ears to hear, eyes to see and mouth to taste what your kingdom is like. Uh, that are kingdom people who seek the kingdom of God, who see the kingdom of God um, in this uh, upside down world, not listening or hearing the wisdom of this world, but the wisdom of our God. In Jesus' name. Amen.